So the Jeff. So the Jared. In the, that's how we end it, right? That's I mean, how we normally end it. But in this circle of life, the ending is the beginning. For we do not have an after chat. We've just got a 20 questions show. Oh. Yeah, I don't know that anything in that sentence made sense, but it sure sounded like it did, didn't it? Well, like, coming like, from your coming from your mouth, yes. Like one doesn't really fall from the other, but but it's okay. <laughs> the one true thing in that sense is that we do have a twenty questions show uh, yes. because the last one was so popular. We decided to switch it around and instead of the Jeff and I asking each other questions, we let you, the listeners, ask questions. Mm-hmm. You, the listeners, right, right. I'll tell them. <laughs> Should we get to that, or do uh, do you have anything you want to bring up before we uh, dig in? Well, let's dig in. I'm hungry. All right. Um, let's see how many of these we can actually get through. Okay. All right. First question is from Riot Fish. He says, the only question that springs to my mind is difficult to formulate. Yeah, go figure. Basically, I'm curious to hear more dialogue to the nature of evil with regards to life, the universe, and the phenomenon. This was touched on a bit in episode 106 when Jeremy asked Jeff if he had any secret worries about the phenomenon, which he didn't talk about. Apparently, he still wonders if it's all quote-unquote demonic, for lack of a better word. So maybe it's a simple question to formulate. What are the host's opinions on the reality of evil? It's one of those annoying questions like, is it art? (laughs) But I love the smell of that fertile soil when it's broken. (laughs) <laughs> so the question is, uh, what's your opinion on the reality of evil? And then I'll give mine, I guess. And go. Uh, can you repeat the question? No. <laughs> um, That's evil. Well, I mean, I think I think for a lot of people it's a matter of perspective, which is a given. Um, but I do think that there is um, – I think there is negative – there is negativity. There is um, – uh, I, I don't. I don't think there can be one without uh, the other, though. So that means there's um, inherent good in the world, and um, you know, yes, I think there is evil. Yes, I do. I, I can't qualify it in, in any meaningful way, other than to say it's just my my belief, and that you know, looking back over the history of the world, I could see evil in in uh, in a couple of different you know incarnations. But as far as paranormal evil. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is such a thing. I don't know. I mean, it's just something that to me makes sense. And I feel like, yes, there is something. Um, I feel like, yes, there is something that is inherently negative about the UFO thing. Uh, but if it is a reflection of ourselves, then all that evil would be contained with us. And so, um, Perhaps that's what it is. I don't know. Uh, I have very little answers in in this direction because I, I simply believe that there is such a thing as evil and darkness and uh, 
somebody would say, well, what would its purpose be? And its purpose would be to be the, the opposite of uh, light and, uh, and caring and love for, you know, again, trite words, evil and love and all this sort of stuff. But um, I think that gets a point across from my end. Yeah, um, I think there is evil, uh, you know, in a world that glorifies its separate self-sense. There's going to be the push-pull of opposites. There's going to be the yin-yang, the good, the evil, the this, the that, and the other thing. Um, But So that's all to say that I don't think evil is a necessary evil, if you will. Mm. Uh, I think it's... um, it's an extension of uh, living wrongly. How about that? Living, living mm. in the world uh, as the sort of neurotic, cut off from source creatures that we are. Uh, I think that's where evil comes from. I, I think it wouldn't even be a question in somebody who lived rightly, and and by that I don't mean somebody who tries to live rightly or puts on airs about doing so, but somebody who actually radiates that light and that goodness that you're talking about from within. That is to say, a whole person. I don't think whole people, whole or holy, if you want to say that, uh, care a whit about evil. I don't think it applies to them. I think it only applies to us because we set it up that way. Um, The second that we broke off from source. So there's your convoluted answer. Mm. Yes and no. Uh, but I like that we had our first question is something that deep, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Piglet Shameful writes, Jeremy and Jeff, what do you each want the phenomenon to be in your depths? What do you really believe it to be or hope that it is? <laughs> you go first. What do I want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um... Well, I think those are different questions. I mean, what I want it to be and what I believe it is or, you know, or hope that it is, those are actually three different things, I think, right? It's really not one thing. Um, I mean, what I would like it to be is I would like I would like it to be good <laughs> so that I can uh I can fall back on my previous answer about evil and know that I was correct. All right. Um what do I really believe it is? I don't know. There is something appealing about that that odd sort of hallucinatory dream experience I had, where uh, I was told that 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 this is a, uh, a, a content that we're a continuum species, and that right now we're like the worm on the ground, and when you go through the cocoon, you become the butterfly, and that these whatever these things are are the butterfly. So they're us. They're us looking back on ourselves, trying to urge us along. Uh, through the cocoon. Uh, there's something about that that's really appealing, whether it's true or not. So maybe that's what I hope it is. Um, but what do I believe it is? I really don't know. I really, I really, I really don't know. I really don't believe anything because what I believe about what it is uh, seems to change. <laughs> you know, it changes with new information. So my my belief about what it is is evolving. I I can only speak to where I think it's coming from in the sort of general sense of anything awoken to oneness is going to wake up uh, anything else that can awaken to oneness because that's one waking oneself up. I mean, that's what I believe it is, but am I right? Uh, I don't know. Mm. And I can be swayed with new information. Mm. What say you, Jeff? 
<sighs> is pie off the table at this point? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> uh, what do I hope it is? I, um, hmm. I mean, I think my answer is kind of split like yours. What I hope it is, is that it is some sort of force that is trying to suggest things and to uh, gently encourage discussion of a myriad of different topics on a bunch of different fronts that eventually changes the self-destructive and brutal nature that humanity has. Part of me hopes that it's something like that, that it is, it is this odd sort of indirect, if you can call it indirect um, push from something else that is present with us. Um, And I guess this answer would mean a non-physical push of some sort that would be purely suggestion. Like it is suggesting things and it is, enticing discussion of other topics that ultimately um, change someone or change us as people. What do I think it is? Um, I think that is, it, it, it is the ripple in the oscilloscope of reality. That's what I think it is. I think that it is, you know, at present time, and, and keep in mind, folks, this has changed for me multiple times over two decades, but at present time, uh, I think that it is likely that this is what reality is made of. I think that um, when Whitley was on the show a while back, he said that the visitors were more involved with everyone and everything, uh, much more than we would think that they would be. And um, And that resonated pretty well with me because I think that uh, you know, again, visual man, visual man to the rescue. Uh, <laughs> I think, again, if you could stick your finger in whatever is in front of you and pull the curtain back, that this phenomena would be behind it. And that's not to say little green men or little gray men or little tan fellows with big black eyes would be behind everything, pulling levers and whatnot. But the phenomena, the other, is concocting what we think reality is. And, um, and I don't think that we're, I think that we're co-creating it, but I think that in the the grand scheme of thing, I mean, think back to the feedback loop theory that I had talked about before, um, where there becomes a back and forth between us and that, or a single individual and that, uh, or some component of that. And, you know, it becomes a ripple. the The oscilloscope for the most of our lives is straight across. It's a, you know, it's a flat line because it's stable and it's, it's secure. And you think you have a really good toehold on what's going on, how the world works, how your life works. And every once in a while, if if something happens in the right set of circumstances or the right things are in place, i.e., anti-structure, marginality, all of the above, then you get a ripple in the oscilloscope. You get a wave for just a, a, a tiny bit. And I think that wave is what people see as um, whatever paranormal instance you can bring up. Um, do ghosts fall into that? I'm not sure, but certainly for me, the UFO thing falls squarely into that. I think that that is um, 
I think the phenomena is representational. I do not think it is literal. So, um, that's what I, that's what I think. That's, that's where I'm, I'm at right now. I know that's all very abstract and ridiculous, but it's welcome to Paratopia, Jeff. Yeah. But that's kind of where I'm at with it at at present time. It's the architecture. It's, 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 um, you see a flying saucer, you think spacemen, but I would tend to think, um, you know, it's a, it's a screw falling out of a girder, um, in the architecture of reality, that sort of thing. It's a, oops, (laughs) whoops, you didn't see that, that kind of thing. So am I right? I have no idea. Um, it's just the current, the current ponderance of late. Okay. Pygmy Owl says, I've got a couple. First, what has helped you not just cope with these experiences, but actually thrive, become uh, healthier, attain greater understanding, etc. Any particular philosophical stance, meditation practice, diet, exercise regime, balance of life duties, work, play, romance, mantra, focus on the practical, or dot, 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 question mark. Oh, hell, I've forgotten the other two. Back soon, hopefully. Steph. (laughs) So, anything... um, Help you cope with these experiences? Uh, pie. Um, <laughs> Why do you keep saying pie? I don't know. I'm stuck on pie today. Uh, what, uh, what's not okay? So not just cope, but actually made us healthier or attain greater understanding. Hmm. Doing the show with me, Jeff. I think that's your answer. Thank no, you. that's Thank not you. it. That's your answer. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a very um, heartfelt paratopia. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, it's therapeutic, sure. I think people's responses to it have been helpful in a way. Um, you know, just the people that you meet when you go to um, a conference or a meeting or someone online writes you. I mean, you know, we get some weird email, but every once in a while, in fact, a little more frequently now than it ever has been, um, we get really thoughtful, detailed emails about um, – other people's thoughts. And I think that's kind of helped me a little bit to um, extrapolate my own theories better. What has helped me cope with it better? Nothing's really helped me cope with it better. I don't cope any better than I ever did. Well, I think part of the question is like, you know, when you're in your guitar shop concentrating on making a guitar or something, Mm -hmm. is that, do you have like a hobby or something that you delve into or a romance or something at work that you like that, you know, something practical that takes you away from it? takes your mind off it anything like that well yeah playing guitar takes me away from it i mean i don't think about anything but that when i'm in that um which i guess is kind of meditative to a degree i suppose i i think something that it's more of a self-control issue for me because jeremy will tell you i'm kind of an all or nothing guy if it's if it's there and i like it and uh you know, to use the phrase the kids say today, if it gets me off, then I'm forbore into that, and I uh, am interested. I'm engaged with it, and I, um, I I learn that way. That's just how I learn, and um, uh, it's the only way I learn. I can't learn things uh, sort of just on the fly. If if I'm if I'm immersed in it for a certain amount of time, then I learn from it, and uh, and I retain it better. Uh. I think music has been and art have been the two biggest constants in my life, my whole life. And I don't, I think I owe that in no small part to this phenomenon. I think whatever happened as a kid is what 
kind of flipped that switch for me at least in some way. But there's no coping mechanism that I can think of that's developed other than other than just um, trying to I think I keep my wits better about me these days when I do have a strange thing happen a lot better than I used to but it's still it's never not it's not any easier I mean it's not any like oh well I can handle this I, I know it's something's happening and I'm aware of it and I can handle it that's not it never gets uh, easier for that so I don't. I don't think there's anything else I really immerse myself in other than music and uh, and and artwork, you know. And I do artwork every day of my life, so it's uh, those are the two big ones that kind of helps me forget about this stuff. But you know, and in, in, and I think you would agree with this too. In that no small way, when you ask the bigger question, when you get away from ufology, when you get away from it, and you start asking those bigger questions, then it does become somewhat of a passion to you. Um. But uh, luckily, you know, speaking as the guy who is all or nothing, I've learned a great deal of restraint in how much time I actually devote to it and how much of my life I let it suck up, I guess is the word. So I, I've learned a lot of balance from it in that way. So what about you? I, well, I mean, beyond my obvious answer of I've got this energy in me that makes me do healthy things. Uh, so that makes me healthier and has forced me to attain greater understanding, whatever that ultimately means. Um, but in just sort of practical terms within this field, I think I think getting immersed in, in ufology, right, which uh, I had been a passive observer of, um, so going to these conferences and seeing um, what's what, putting a name and a voice and a body language to the people who are selling you uh, what they claim to be their truth um, or their set of facts. I mean, I think just being able to do that and seeing that these people don't have answers, you know, I mean, some of them are con artists um, and frauds and, and that's disheartening and, and some of them aren't. But overall, um, I think just seeing just firsthand how nobody has a real answer is good, is healthy in a way, you know, like I feel like like that's helpful because it's like, oh, these people really don't speak for me. And so I don't have to worry about that. For example, even the whole hybrids thing, you know? I mean, I was someone who followed Hopkins and Jacobs' work, uh, and I worried about that stuff simply because I read it. And so it's a possibility. If they're getting this from hypnotized subjects, then it must be real, right? There's, people must be reporting something real. But but having investigated it, no, no, that's that's all wrong. And so now I don't have to worry about that anymore, <laughs> you know? Uh or any of this, you know, I've got documents about JFK and Marilyn Monroe and and uh, whatever, whatever, you know, the the, the Greer shtick um, <laughs> that I just sort of knew loosely from, you know, maybe a 60 Minutes interview or something. To see him say it live is to be uh, bowled over by the fact that people are uh, have very little radar for bad acting in this field. And so... I feel like that's healthier for me because that that sort of again we can't we can't say what this thing is, but now I have a better handle on what it isn't, and so I can eliminate some of the possibilities. So I think that's it. I mean, and it, it, there's nothing really practical in the way of well work, <laughs> uh, play <laughs> <laughs> or romance uh, that that ever takes my mind off of this 
for long because it's in me. I mean, it's literally right waiting to come out and express itself. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I don't have that off switch, uh, but I don't need it. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like, you know, I'm not complaining about that. It's not like I'm not the, I'm not the Hulk. <laughs> well, I mean, do you think that, um, there was certainly a point in your life where this wasn't a factor. Okay. And I remember mine because mine apparently was a little on the late side. I mean, I've had weird stuff all my life, but I certainly never equated it to the other visitors, whatever you, whatever label you want to slap on it. And I know that, that when I did and, and I did make certain connections and I began uh, exploring my own experiences deeper and trying to understand them. And then that culminated with more and more and more happening. I know from that point on that, that, um, you know, my life was never going to be the same as it was before, you know? And I, I think that that's, I think that can be really debilitating. And I think that a lot of people don't get over that. And so, you know, they grab onto the easiest answer to make something make sense so they can then move on with whatever is coming up next. And I think the fact that I've never done that, I mean, somebody mentioned like diet and exercise and all that, like that doesn't even come into play for me. I, I eat like shit and I don't exercise. And, um, uh, unless head banging is aerobic, then I suppose that's something, but you know, I, I, uh, I stay up way too late. I don't get enough sleep. I'm, uh, I don't eat right. Uh, God knows Lisa, the angel that she is, she tries, but, uh, you know, I'm still the, the same kind of guy uh, that I've always been, only there's this inclusion now of this other thing, which is like a major part of my life because you can't have those experiences in the past and, and say, oh, I'm just going to move on from that and that's the end of it. it. It doesn't work that way. It's like once it's there, it's there and it's ever present for you. And so what do you do with that? Um, well, I think so there's you, there's you another know, you, thing, another element in here, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I think you have this as well, which is that uh, when you're in the moment of a situation, I, well, I know you felt this because you definitely felt this with your Men in Black. I mean, when you're in the moment of the situation, there is that feeling of completely different than you're you're thinking about it now, which is uh, oh, yeah. that it's natural that that you, you sort of know what's going on. Or at least you know who these people are. You know what this is. You know, there's always that feeling of you know what this is, mm-hmm. uh, even though you don't. Even though you can't even say what that means. Like you can't verbalize it because you don't Correct. consciously know what it is. Um, so I think like when you're in the moment in in a, in a highly strange situation related to this stuff, uh, you're really in a sense not the same person. It's it's almost as if you're. You're a spy, you know, with a double, like a secret agent or something, you know, mm-hmm. like you've got this other identity that does know what's going on. And then you've got this identity that is flummoxed and scared. Yeah, it's the fleeting epiphany. The fleeting know? epiphany, yeah. Yeah, it, that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's, I've told you this before. It's like, you know, at one point it's, my God, of course, this is it. And I get it. And you get it and all is right with the world. And it feels like, you know. Everything has come together. You've got that last piece of the puzzle shoved firmly into place. And and then this next second you're good, what the fuck was I talking about? And it's just it's completely fleeting. So you don't really understand your feeling 
I mean, your internal feelings of, of course, of course, I know this is yes. Of, yeah. Oh yeah. And then outside of that experience, you're like, the epiphany is completely gone. That epiphanal feeling, that rush feeling of knowing is not there anymore. And you're trying to make sense. Like, how could this, how could I even think that would be right? It's too simple. That doesn't make any sense. Um, if you can remember it at all. Uh, so yeah, I think you are in a completely different headspace. I think you're a completely different person in that kind of scenario. Um, have you gotten, um, we're interviewing Streber in a couple of weeks. Have you gotten through the key yet? No, I'm, I'm, I'm about halfway. Cause he talks, uh, at the end, you know, he, he puts in the original, he has a, a new introduction and a new afterward and, mm-hmm. and, uh, he puts the originals, um, in the back and the original, he talks about that very thing in the original afterward. Mm. about just the, the the whole thing of wanting it to be a dream uh, or or something, that there's something about having contact with this other that is so highly strange that the brain doesn't know how else to process it except as a dream, and so you'll do anything to convince yourself it wasn't real because it doesn't fit. Right. So even though you know it was real, it's like your brain is struggling against you to, to say, no, this... This didn't happen and, and just forget it in the same way that we were talking about during the McKenna episode, uh, the, the midweek special uh, that the whole, you know, the drug trip does. Yeah. You know, you just you forget a lot of it because it's weird. And it so your brain just goes, eh, that's dream material. That's that's hallucinations. That's not real. <laughs> right. Um, well, because everything in your world tells you it's not it's not possible. You know everything. Yeah, tells even you as you're, even as you're in this, but when you're in the situation, I mean, oh, this was the other thing you talked about. I guess that that sort of directly relates is in the situation of talking to this guy. He calls the master of the key. Mm. Uh, he felt like everything he was saying was completely brilliant, and then when he looked back <laughs> at his writing, he was like, "What is this new age shit?" <laughs> you know, yeah, this isn't even good writing for me. So right. he said it was wow. a real struggle to. What he thought was going to be a, uh, a couple of months writing this thing out really took years because he had to mm. get the points to where they didn't sound like New Age nonsense, to where they really were back to their the essence of, of what was right. communicated, and or at least how he felt uh, about the communication, I think, is mm. more what he wrote than a direct uh, transcription. Mm. So, you'll, But you'll get to that. I mean, I just think it's interesting because it's like so completely what we – talk about all the time yeah 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 well what's next next up is um jr 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 i have a question for both jeremy and jeff this one's for you jeff Uh uh-oh on this forum jeffrey that's you has said that the hooded man felt like it was a part of him to some extent that it was familiar and also nature-like my question is this feeling that it is a part of you and nature-like, uh, does it extend beyond that of the hooded man? When the phenomenon takes place in each of your lives, do you feel that to some larger extent it feels like it's a part of you? So I guess, is it a part of nature? Um, is more than just the hooded man a part of nature? Is the first part of the question. Or was it that so in other specific? words, I'm supposed to compare older experiences yeah, to this so. new thing and say, does it feel like it's still that sort of thing? Yeah, did I mean did you have the sense with the bug-eyed guys that they were of nature in the same way that you have the sense that this guy is of nature? Let's make it simple. I think with the bugs it's harder. Uh because they're wearing a 
I think that they're wearing a skin that essentially is, uh, there's something for us mentally, I think there's something in us about that, that facade that they wear that is inherently fearful. And I think that is part of the purpose of it. And that's not to say it's evil or it's bad. It's, it's a, uh, it's like an alarm clock. An alarm clock will scare the hell out of you when you're in a deep sleep and you hear the ringing bells, but ultimately it's just ringing bells. It's sort of that, I liken it to that kind of thing. Do I see them as part of nature? I, I think there was a point some years ago where I, I had said that there seems to be something naturey about them, but then I thought they feel more like, and this is probably due to the early experiences, the, the stuff when you're five, you know, when I was five years old and, uh, you know, the black sheets, the blue light, all of that stuff that we've talked about over and over. Uh, there's something about them that feels, that makes you, again, this, there's a feeling of childhood in it. There's a feeling, and I, I, it's hard to explain what that feels like. It's, uh, and this is an internal feeling. It's nothing that I glean from them and saying, yes, they're of nature. I don't, I don't feel like a, a disc in the sky or a sphere, both of which I've seen close are of nature. It doesn't feel like it's of nature. It just feels like it harkens back to that same feeling of child time. Uh, it's really hard to describe that. And I can't, you know, I've said before that, I mean, the best way to describe it, I guess is, you know, when it's Halloween, there's a feeling that surrounds Halloween when it's Christmas, same thing. And there's a feeling of child uh, and being a child. And whenever I have seen something in the sky that shouldn't be there or can't be, that is the feeling that most intrudes the hardest. And whether or not that is conditioning from being around it between the ages of five and nine every single night and being horrified of it and dreading it and all that, is that why that feeling is so permeable in, in, in my experiences? I don't, I don't know. I would think, yes, it would be a product of conditioning. And then the other part of that is um, the feeling like it's a part of you. Does that extend to everything or just the man in black? Well, well, certainly with, with, the, with that uh, guy, it's, it's a lot stronger with that, but you know, it, it becomes one of those things where when you when you actively look for something like this stuff and and you know and I'm not going to lie you know there was certainly times since Lisa and I've been married where I became a little bit confrontational with it when I had not experienced as much directly and I would sit on the balcony of you know the condo and have binoculars and I would sit in a chair and smoke cigarettes and drink Pepsi and just look and watch and train my eyes uh, to see in the dark better, you know, like wear sunglasses in the house and, uh, and then go out and, you know, I have this great night vision and binoculars and all matter or nonsense. And then when I would see something, I would become excited as if I looked and there it is. It's like nobody's looking. And then gradually that kind of transformed into, uh, a connection with me to, I thought, well, how is that even, what are, what are the odds that I'm going to be in a, in a condominium in a suburban area and 
and this thing's just going to fly over the house just when I happen to be looking. Like, no, 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 you don't get it. It's there because you're looking. And so that spelled out to me and Lee uh, that you're calling them. And so to that degree, when I look back on that, I do feel like, yes, the, the objects in the air that you see because you're looking, are they part of you? I think they're only part of you in the sense that you're looking for them and you're perceiving them and they're there because of you. So that's just kind of my inner thought or process of how events like that could happen. Let me ask you... I, I, I hope that makes some kind of sense. Yeah, I don't, but let I don't me know ask you to, to define calling them because I think people hear that and then they hearken back to Greer calling them in. Oh, yeah. What is the difference between Greer calling them in and you calling them in? Um... <laughs> Oh boy, I could answer that in a real mean way. Um, well, I think there's a difference between just going out and looking and not really expecting to see anything, but just rather keeping an eye out. Uh, I don't even think you realize what you're doing, or I mean, at least I didn't. I didn't realize that that yes, if you do, and I still firmly believe this. I and I and I've told you before privately. I, I mean, it's entirely possible if. You know, if there is a sighting at a C-SETI outing, that it may have nothing to do with Stephen Greer. It may have something to do with someone else who is in that same position of they've seen things, they know it's there, they feel it. And so they go out and look for it. When they look for it, it responds. And that's what I think whatever, you know, this boils down to. There is a connection with us uh, where it depends upon us to manifest something for us to see whatever that odd thing might be and um calling them in doesn't mean uh nanu nanu and extending the antennas and calling them in with sounds you've recorded in a crop circle formation or lasers or flashlights it means just standing there in that field and and for a lot of people again i'll say this is a hobby this is an interest but that's where it stops it's a hobby and an interest But when you know that it's there and you know it and it's not guesswork anymore, like I'd seen it, I knew. And so now I'm out looking because let's keep an eye on this. I mean, what's going on? And you don't realize what you're doing is you're, you're focusing your own intent on seeing something. And when you do, and it is undeniable, and I saw a lot of deniable things. I saw a lot of questionable things, uh, so I can see very well how Greer and some of the C-SETI folks would say, look at that thing moving so quickly across. Well, that's a satellite or it's a meteoric or it's, you know, something like that. But when it's undeniable, it's undeniable. And you, you stand there and you just slack jawed looking at it and, and, and leave. And, and I had that sort of thing up, you know, at at a at an area not far from the house where we would go and go and go and see things, and then after a while, it it became just more and more in your face. And I don't think it's let's not call it calling them in, but rather you're the A to the B. Uh, I, I think it definitely takes two, um, us and the other, and part of it is knowing that it's there. And then going out and actively seeking it. And when you seek it, it, 
it, I, I, I'm sorry to say this. I have no proof of any of this. I have no way to convince anyone. I have nothing at all. But I personally believe, just from my own experience, that should you go look and look long enough and ask the right questions and wonder and, and know, uh, then it will come. And and that's why I caution so many people who say, I wish I'd see what you see or I wish I could have an experience like that. Um, it really is true that you don't really get what you're asking for because once you know, once you really know, um, that's where nothing is ever quite the same again. Uh, not that you live in constant fear, but you will at certain points. But that's what I mean by you're a part of the equation. And so when you're a part of the equation uh, to yourself and in, in what you've come to, then yes, you do feel like I am part A to the, to what I'm seeing as letter B. I am a participant in this and not, so therefore it does become a part of you in a way, but any skeptic or debunker would immediately say, well, you're going out and looking. And of course you're primed to see weird stuff. And of course that's why you are. And, um, uh, and that's that's a good point, but <laughs> when it's a hundred feet over top of your pickup truck and it's standing still and all of that, and then it flares its lights and takes off and slides through the air, unlike a glider, unlike an airplane, it's it it moves like nothing you've ever seen move before. Instead of flying, it just slides like it's sliding on a sheet of glass. Uh, you know, you know, this is not bullshit. This is real and it's, it's as real as it gets. And it's, um, that is a terrifying prospect at the time to think that these things surround us and are probably always there. So, you know, I, I don't, uh, uh, I, I certainly don't put any stock in, in, in Stephen Greer or say but by the same token, I don't doubt that there are, possibly been times where someone has seen something by virtue of I know it's there I'm, I'm seeking it out I, I want to know I want to see and it shows itself that would not surprise me right yeah I just think Greer is a, uh, a studied man for part of his act and some of mm-hmm. that study is meditation some of that stuff is ufology mm-hmm. um, so he knows the language it just doesn't apply to him Mm-hmm. Um, well, at the same time, can't you say that part of that is the marginality effect in play there? I mean, well, it really I, is. I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, not not as far as Greer, but I'm talking as far as the person who goes out to seek something and finds it, uh, but yet has no proof of it. I mean, that's certainly about well, yeah, as marginal margin- as one can it's, get. It's the marginality effect, but mm-hmm. I don't know that that means that there is this engine of marginality that's doing it on purpose. You know what I mean? No, no, certainly not. No. Uh-uh. But I'll, I'll just say uh, in answer to, do I feel like to some larger extent, this whole thing is a part of you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's the easy answer mm-hmm. um, is that, yeah, just as we said, it's sort of like beyond the fear, there's the knowing in the moment. And then out of the moment is the guesswork. Um, right. But even in the moment, it doesn't make literal sense that you know because you don't know anything. You just have this feeling of knowing. <laughs> um, right. But it seems more real than than normal reality. I, I don't know. I don't know how to put that. I guess there's always been – I've always felt 
part of it or it a part of me or however that works. Like even, you know, back in high school, even through the fear, even through all of that, there's always this little nagging sense of, of, you know what this is. Well, I mean, even back in high school, I mean, that was what I was thinking, right? When thing walks into my bedroom and I say, ma, what are you doing? Go back to sleep. And my immediate <laughs> next thought is that's, this isn't your mother. You know what this is. Right. You know, deal with it. Deal with it. And that's been the message for the rest of my life. Deal with it. Right. <laughs> you know what this yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so JR goes on to say, okay, another question, Jeremy, in the last episode where you prefaced the 20 questions to talk with Jeff about the latest experience he had, could you relate to the flashes of imagery that he experienced seeing the pine cone trees and the halls? Uh, have you, Jeremy, had experiences with flashing imagery in rapid fashion and in great detail? I find this curious because it happens to me every once in a while as if my brain mind has been activated. If so, what do you think this flashing of imagery is? Do you think it is some psychic ability that is taking place? Is this the upload-download of information that people are alluding to, i.e. Sammy Hagar? Um, I, I would say that I could see how it would be the thing that, that someone like Sammy Hagar is alluding to. But I don't know because I haven't talked to him. Um, but I would say that for me, I've had the upload or download or whatever experience, and it is different than this flashing imagery. And yes, therefore, I've had the flashing imagery experience um, a number of times. And sometimes it's just, I think it's just, hip, is it hypnopompic or hypnagogic imagery, you know? Yeah. Uh, on your way in and out of sleep, um, it just becomes this sort of f- flickering, like almost an old film uh, flashing of scenes. Um, but one time, and I wrote about this and I reposted it relatively recently, um, I had the image of dinosaurs coming back. And this was after I had gone to the Bronx Zoo. So I spent a day in the sun at the Bronx Zoo. Uh, and when I came home and just sat down on the couch to rest for a second and shut my eyes, um, you know, I wasn't asleep. I wasn't tired. I was just shutting my eyes and resting for a second. I had the flickering images, and but I realized that the animals I was seeing weren't from the zoo. <laughs> they were dinosaurs, and I was seeing them come back. So I saw this whole scene play out and had the distinct feeling of when the dinosaurs come back, that's when you know this, this thing's over, this incarnation of Earth. Um, so I kind of expect that to happen at some point. Uh, but no, um... So yes, I've I've had that, uh, but the the upload download thing was completely different, and it's funny because I uh, I remember saying that it was um, another instance of the slit opening at the base of the spine and energy pouring in, except that I don't really remember it that way. I remember writing it down that way, but I don't remember it that way. I remember it being sort of that same feeling, except coming in through my head, not through some slit in the spine. But it's as if you're almost sort of I don't know. Uh, overcome with this this sort of energy and um and then suddenly there were these i mean pages of documents that i thought were cyrillic i thought they were russian um and they look like um photocopies of of documents in this foreign writing just being loaded into me like a computer or something i mean it was strange and then that's when i i called nancy burns the next day uh and she had said um you know are you familiar with uh with philip k dick and I said, no. And she said, well, you got to read about his life because he had the same things happen to him. Uh, and sure enough, I then read a book about him and and he had the same thing happen too. So, I mean, these are two complete – and that, that experience is far more vivid and uh, 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 I would say longer. It's a longer experience. 
because the flickering can just be a flickering image of something and then a flickering image of something else and something else. This was literally like like somebody in the government had figured out how to create a human internet and load people with documents they wanted to hide. I mean, that that's sort of what this felt like, um, as scary and paranoid as that might sound. Um, so that's that answer. Pygmy Owl writes a couple more. So I guess she, she figured it out. Love that name, by the way, Pygmy Owl. Yes. Um, any particular experiencer, writer, incident, book that really resonates with you where you go, that's it. That's just what is going on with me. If so, how did you come across this person, book, etc.? That's question one. Well, for me, I mean, obviously, Communion, Streber. <laughs> Um, you know, we've, we've been down this road, pygmy owl. <laughs> I mean, that, that he is the author that I more times than not go. That's it in, in book form. You know, when, when, when he's writer, uh, writing as an author, I think he's, uh, dead on more times than not. Yeah. And the movie and communion, the movie. I mean, Philippe Mora got it yeah. too. And Philippe's not an experiencer, but, but he certainly got it. Yeah. I would say that movie, um, was certainly captured the weirdness better than anything I've seen. Um, book wise, hmm. True Hallucinations by Terrence McKenna. If you haven't read it, read it. It has nothing to do with ufology past a sighting that's detailed in it, but I still think it's one of the more important books on this subject as it applies to the subject uh, that has been written probably in years. I would say parts of Jung's saucer book uh, resonate pretty well and communion as well. I mean, I think that that was what, uh, that was what devastated me when I saw the book, (laughs) you know, that was what got me uh, was just how close it's not perfect. Again, it's not exact, but there's something about that face on that book. And uh, I would say that the book had a definite effect, but his experiences certainly weren't wholly like mine, but had the same um, aftertaste, I guess. They had that same sort of high weirdness that wasn't ashamed to be described in detail. And that resonated pretty well because that's kind of always how I've approached this is not to hold any of the really bizarre stuff back. And, um, and so that seemed, that seemed familiar. And often when I write down an account uh, that I've had on a message board somewhere and I put in all the weird stuff and, you know, and the weird feelings that you have, that's often what I'll hear is, well, your, your stuff seems very Streber esque. And I'm like, no, it's probably much like everyone else's. It's just, nobody wants to talk about how, how absolutely bizarre it is because they're afraid of sounding foolish. And I just, I'm already, you know, I'm already a fool. So what's it matter? Um, and I would say also for me, Donnie Darko uh, gives me mm-hmm. that same sort of feeling, even though it's not really related. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. In terms of reality and stuff like that, of course, Judy Krishnamurti for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think he got it. Um, mm-hmm. And Young, I haven't read Young's Flying Saucer book, but I've started reading uh, another book on on mythology and, and that sort of stuff. And yeah, I mean, young certainly resonates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about, about books that have, uh, that have definitely got something 
strange about them that sort of resonated with me at a young age, where the wild things are. <laughs> huh, it, you know, yeah. I, 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 know I, read I had the, the most weird reaction to that book. I'm sure I had the book read to me 8 million times when I was a, a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw the movie when it came out in the theaters, and that had the same eerie quality. I don't know if you saw the flick, but... No, I didn't. No. Oh, my God. You would, you would yeah, you, well... I didn't want to ruin the book by seeing the movie. No, the you should see is... the movie. <laughs> okay. You should definitely see the movie. Because the movie, I mean, it's not a kid's movie by any stretch. I really? I don't okay. know who they think they're, they're fooling. Uh-huh. I mean, it is a book of odd psychological archetypes, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I would say Where the Wild Things Are really, really struck a chord at the time. Although with no direct, you know, realization of why this whole thing, you know, what, why, the why of it didn't really hit me until years later where I thought, hmm, you know, I read that book, I got it out and, and I read it uh, in elementary school or something. I probably, I mean, I'm sure I had it when I was very young, but I remember checking it out of the library and reading it over and over and over going, you know, there's something that feels familiar about, you know, going to your room and going to bed and, and, or getting punished and sent to your room and go to bed and, and something happening, something strange, and uh, and then coming out of it to find that no time has passed, or you know, I guess that's probably where the connection lies with that. So I would say that um, that the movie, the feeling that that movie emoted to me was the same as the feeling uh, of being the clown entity on the mushroom trip. Huh? Because you say clown, and it sounds like funny. Whatever, whatever, but it wasn't that. It was almost dirty, animalistic, mm-hmm. uh, claustrophobic in a in a mental space sort of way. I don't. know. It's hard mm-hmm. to describe, but that that got pretty close. That movie, um, a madman, a madman. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I described it, the whole mushroom thing as like an induced psychosis. So, yeah, it wouldn't be far off to say a madman. Yeah. Pygmy Owl goes on, do you feel that your experiences are consistently with slash precipitated by a single entity or group of entities, or do you feel like you're having experiences with different entities or energies, all the time different ones, or do the same ones pop up every now and then? What has led you to these conclusions, if you have any? Well, why don't you, uh, why don't you take this one first? <laughs> now, keep in mind, Jeff, this is a two-hour show. I know. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop you if, if it goes too long. <laughs> no, not me, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I think that whatever it is, I think it is one intelligence. Whether that one intelligence is a singular intelligence or a a group, I don't know. But I, I am with Jeff on the whole Nordics, Greys, you know, Mantis, whatever. Uh, all of those are a face uh, or different faces of, of the same thing. Um, and I would be just as at home in the notion that that same thing is one society of entities from elsewhere as it is, um, some unknown aspect of us that is trying to evolve us through, through the illusion of separate beings. Either of those are, are fine with me, um, or, or any permutation of that. Um, but no, I don't believe in some concrete entities from another planet from several planets, you know, a galactic federation. I don't, I don't, I don't buy the galactic federation thing. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> we wouldn't be doing a show together if you did. <laughs> yeah. 
But, I mean, ha- but, but, but I have say, you? I got to say that said. On the other hand, um, uh, you know, with my shtick of oneness, like even a galactic federation would just be the one thing again. It's one waking oneself up, and so it doesn't matter what the organism is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, if the state of consciousness, if the there's a an ultimate state of consciousness that any being in a meat suit <laughs> achieves. Uh, and then they, so, so you come to know each other as oneself, uh, then ultimately, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean at that point? You could have beings from various different planets, but they wouldn't be a galactic federation in the way of Star Trek. They would be like uh, a singular consciousness moving through these organisms that just happen to be born in different places, you know? But anyway, go ahead. On the surface of it, I could say that, yes, I've seen... What I, w- what I would say was the same female, <clears throat> excuse me, in a couple of different instances that I could say, yeah, it's the same bunch. But yeah, I-, I think a lot like you do that it is a single thing, uh, external, but I don't necessarily believe it is, it is one thing uh, or one Entity, quote unquote entity. I think it is. Um, I, I don't like the word hive mind. I don't think it's that sort of thing. I think it is just a. Uh, I think it is one sort of, like you say, a consciousness of some sort. If you can even say that, that that's what it is, a force. But I think that anything that you see, any way that you see it or any way that you perceive it, as an individual or as a repeated you know entity that you're interacting with i think is all about you i don't think that that's i don't think that's uh i don't think that's the reality of what you're actually witnessing you know i think this is all based upon uh, human experience and so therefore it's immediately suspect for me because of how easily we're twisted up how easily our perception is twisted up like a pretzel by whatever this is and by ourselves, probably to no small part. So I don't necessarily think that it's um, it's a repeat visitor, although I don't discount that as a possibility. But I look at it as more of a singular consciousness that is at work, whether it's controlling other things, other fingers, or not. I don't know. Uh, and lastly, Pygmy Owl says, how, when did you decide to go public with your experiences? How easy or hard was this decision? What factors did you take into consideration? Did you go public for yourself or for other experiencers slash others wanting to find out about this subject? Thank you, Steph. Mm. I decided to go public when I wrote my book um, because I was just writing a a bunch of New York stories. I was just going to write sort of a normal biographical comedy. (laughs) Uh, But then I thought, well, um, I probably in my narcissism as a writer, I thought, well, it would be disingenuous to to write about all this stuff and not include the alien abduction as if there's some reader out there expecting something of me, you know, like nobody knows who the fuck I am. Uh, so did it really matter whether I wrote about my alien experiences or not? Uh, no, but in my mind at the time, I thought, well, it would be disingenuous and and also probably a better selling point to talk about the alien experiences than than just the, the sort of normal everyday New York folly. 
boy, was I wrong. And how. <laughs> um, how easy or hard was the decision? It was very easy because I just dive into things without thinking half the time. Or I think along the way. How about that? I mean, I'm not like a dope who just dives in and like hits his head on the bottom. Like somehow it seems to work out okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I tend to just dive into things, you know, kind of, well, I mean, in the same way that like when we decided to do the magazine, there wasn't a whole lot of forethought. It was something that we'd thought about. We Then we put in the back of our minds and then one day decided, let's do it. Or even doing the show where it was just, you you know, we had a conversation and you were like, let's do a show. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no real forethought to that type of decision. It's just impulsive, impulsive with a side of planning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And what factors did I take into consideration? None. I guess I'm an, an open guy. And so it's like, well, I was going to write the story anyway, you know, and it involved growing up and being molested and um, self-effacing humor and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I, I guess I didn't really factor in um, how people would react to me. And I didn't factor in how it would affect my family or any of that, because I don't think uh, you can as a writer. I think you just have to, you know, have to sort of, or as any sort of artist, I don't think you, I don't know. I, I, what do you think about that? I mean, you can't really sort of, I guess you can take p- other people's feelings into consideration to some extent, mm-hmm. but you've got to speak your truth, you know? Um, so I just sort of, I guess, spoke my truth and, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like I thought about it and then went, Oh, well, how's this going to affect mom and dad? You know, it was just, mm. it wasn't even in my head to, to factor anything like that. Mm. Um, so no factors. I took no factors. Into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> Blind and stupid. Yeah. Uh, did you go public for yourself or for other experiencers? Other wanting to find out about the subject? Well, I mean, originally I went public, um, for the book, I went public uh, because I thought it would be interesting and because I thought it would be a good selling point. But then ultimately, once that delusion was wiped away, I stuck with it and I did the culture of contact and all, all that sort of stuff um, for other experiencers. Uh, and especially the experiencers who participated, like the artists. Uh, I don't know. There's something about seeing these old timers you know, selling their artwork or just being able to show it to the public that they've been, you know, keeping in the closet all these years because they have no outlet for it. There's mm. something gratifying about seeing them smile. I mean, it sounds hokey, but there's something gratifying about that. Um, I mean, say what you will about David Huggins and, and whatever the hell is going on with him. Um, at the time, you know, he was uh, an artist in, in the art show and I think it gained him some traction, you know, and uh, I don't know. He's an old guy and he's a kind guy. So there was something nice about that. And I think there was also something nice about empowering other people. Cause I think, I think we did that in a way like, like for, in whatever small way so for the simple fact that we got positive press uh, for both events, um, however successful, you know, one of those events was, and, and we all know it wasn't. Uh, is beside the point. It was successful in that it got positive mainstream press from New York. You know, when the hell does that ever happen? Um, right. So I think to be able to to just reflect back on that and go, well, we, we actually did something here. And, and now I think like that's carrying over with the stuff we've done with Emma Woods and Carol Rainey. Like to me, again, I don't know how, how successful you see that as having an effect on the field, but um at least immediately it did. I don't know, I don't know if it will over the, the long haul, but I, I kind of feel like, like, yeah, when we do stuff like that, 
it's not just for us or it's not just for me. I'll just say for me. It's not just for me. It's for other people. It's for <laughs> wanting to get to the truth for the sake of getting to the truth, you know? Um, and part of that wanting to get to the truth isn't just me. It's that I have friends who are experiencers who are also affected by this and who are um, also affected by bad research, who are also affected by the way the media makes clowns of us and laughs at us and all that sort of thing. So I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I do or did or have gotten something out of, uh, out of doing things for other people hmm. in this. And what was the first question again? Not to overstate it. Uh, <laughs> how or when did you decide to go public with your experiences? Um, I didn't. I always talked about them. So, uh, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I told people about what I saw and, uh, and yeah, a lot of times public, it was like public, it, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. like public, public, yeah. um, I, I think, uh, you know, when I met Lee through a mutual, uh, friend and, and I don't I guess, you know, coworker, um, that was sort of when we began talking and I realized how, uh, how much better I felt when he and I would have discussions about what we thought was going on. And, and so that felt better. And then, um, uh, I met, uh, Bruce McAbee at, at, um, one of the support group meetings it, somehow or other Lee found about, uh, I think the both of us met, uh, Bob Exler somewhere along the way. And, um, and Bob Exler was putting together a group and asked us if we'd like to be a part of it or help with it. And, uh, and so we started going to those. And after a while, of course, Exler exited the field and uh, Maccabee was at a lot of those meetings and, and just talking to him about the nuts and bolts of it and seeing that, you know, here's a credible guy. Here's a guy who's not flaky and, and weird, but yet has a, a genuine interest in this and a genuine interest in what we were all describing enough to come to these meetings. And then the other people in those meetings, I saw people who were very distraught uh, and yet were still curious about what in the world could be going on. And I don't know, I guess when you know that it's there and you know it like you know it like you know it, then it doesn't become a question of, well, should I talk about this? It then becomes like, okay, this is like incredibly important. And, uh, and I still believe that it's incredibly important for people to, to study and to get a handle on it, whatever it is. And I don't, I don't, I don't care if that comes down to a psychological reason or not, whatever it comes down to, uh, it's important. And so I, I got invited to one lecture and I, I guess the first one, didn't start out being um and started out being about photographic data and then someone in the in the audience said um much like you and I think about certain people in this field who who don't say that they're experiencers you know it said this woman i think it was said you know you've got a real drive for answers and there's got to be something behind that besides uh just general inquiry what what is your deal and and why are you so uh um why are you so hell bent on hoaxers and finding out how they did it and then exposing that so publicly? And yeah, I looked at my wife sitting in the audience and she just kind of like nodded and smiled at me. And that was it. I just said, well, because from the time I was five years old and so on and so forth. And, um, and I laid it all out and I didn't hold anything back. And, um, 
And like I said, I still don't. So it, I, I didn't ever think that it would get out to such a degree as it is that now I'm doing a global talk show on the internet about it. Um, <laughs> and, and still to this day, it hasn't really affected my life in any profound way. I mean, it's not like I go to a band audition and they go, oh, you're the guy on Paratopia. It's, you know, I, I think the whole notion of being exposed in the media, like, I mean, if you had done 2020 or Nova or any number of these shows, sightings or anything, I mean, I think maybe there would have been some fallout publicly for that. But when it comes to a podcast or doing lectures on a, a UFO uh, conference or anything like that, you know, I think it's a, a vastly overstated as to the ridicule that you'll receive off of something like that. So, um, I personally haven't had a great deal of that, although from friends who know me, um, I'll occasionally get a ribbing about it, but that's really about it. Uh, so there wasn't much forethought into, is this going to affect my work or my family or anything like that? Because it hasn't. I'm an artist. We're expected to be a little off. So, And and what was, was there a last part to that that she wanted to know? Um, how easy or hard was the decision? What factors did you take into consideration? Um, did you go public for yourself or for others, other experiencers or others wanting to find out about the subject? Uh, I went, I guess I made the leap because I felt that it was important enough to do it. Um, and again, there, there was not a lot of forethought in it. So, uh, I did it more for the phenomena than anything else. Um, I, I, you know, I've said before, I'm in this for pretty selfish reasons, which because something happened to me. And I guess continues to, to some degree, and I want to know more about it. And so the more you talk about it, the more people gather around to exchange their experiences. And I thought, you know, if, if I can meet that one person who saw the spinning white square, who saw the alien in the, in the upside down walk hat, you know, <laughs> if I could find one person, then I'd say, okay, you saw that, right? And, you know, and I have in, in over the years, I've met people who have, had incredibly similar experiences that they couldn't possibly know about. Um, you know what's funny is uh, I I talked about this fairly openly my whole life too, or at least openly with you know a core group of friends. But I remember part of my thinking in writing the book and and the way the book is even set up uh, was to make me sound sane, so that you don't even get any quote unquote alien stuff until the end of the book. You got to slog through who I am first and how I have normal a normal life, and I'm not crazy and all this. For the simple fact that I thought naively that somebody needed to take on the system, needed to take on the media, and needed to present sort of a normal image of a normal person who just happens to be going through this, and I thought I could somehow be that guy, be the Gen X guy who's like, "Look, I'm just like you. I get all the jokes too, but this is happening. At the same time, this is happening." Um. And then little did I know uh, that they were right, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> for the wrong reasons. I mean, they didn't uh-huh. they didn't really care whether they were right or not. You know, these debunker types. But I mean, a lot of this stuff just is crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the embarrassment comes later when you realize when you look around and you go, "God, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what am I? Do- what have I done? Like you're, but you're already in at that point. You know, but I, didn't, I hadn't in. met anyone. You know what I mean? Like I hadn't met anyone who yeah. was an experiencer up until up until I moved to New York. So I was still naively thinking it, you know, this us and them, I wasn't thinking, Oh wait, us, there's not even an us. There's just, 
uh, <laughs> a, a very fractional percentage of the us is is okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, who would you say influenced you more to speak with an open book policy about it? Who influenced me more? Nobody. I would say that I just had uh, a, I was really lucky in that in high school and my freshman year of college, I was in social situations that were very fortunate with very open people mm-hmm. who love to talk about everything from politics to to paranormal to whatever. They were open to anything. Yeah. Um, so we could have this type of talk. And of course, in high school, uh, we had a group of people who got into the Ouija board. Um, right. So they were willing to even go that far in entertaining paranormal stuff. Um, huh. And in college, uh, there was nothing else to do except pack into this one person's room and uh, and talk. <laughs> and oh, I think okay. when you're forced to have community like that, anything will come up. Right? Yeah, anything comes up, and and I think your your inhibitions sort of go out the window. And I'm a pretty open guy to begin with, you know, or I'm a pretty sort of wacky kind of guy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, how I thought that I was going to uh, present normalcy to anyone is beyond me, but <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip around here because they're, they're like Piglet Shameful has this eureka moment of, yes, we get more than one question, but then <laughs> writes 8 million questions, which are all great and I would love to get to them, but let's just make sure other people get in here. So yeah. Spider Boris writes, Jeff and Jer, here's one for either or both of you to answer if you so desire. Do either of you think disclosure is possible and will happen at some point in the future of our planet and society? (laughs) And just to qualify what I actually mean with that thorny weaselly word or weasel word in this instance, I'm suggesting suggesting that disclosure refers to the partial or complete opening up of humanity's relationship with this other in the world at both an interpersonal and societal level. That's my new definition anyway. If either of you believe or suspect that this may happen one day, what is your projected time scale for such a disclosure? Do you think there is a time scale? Do you think it is possible, impossible, or did the possibility never exist in your eyes based on your own personal experiences with quote unquote it? So will this thing disclose itself to the world? Will we re- live in any sort of relationship with it out in the open? And if so, when Jeff, your thoughts. <laughs> Thanks, Jer. Uh, I think there will never be an aha moment. I think that time will march on. And as we become older as a species, if we do, and I have, I have a a bit of optimism that we will, I think it will eventually become something that everyone knows. I don't think there will be an, uh, you know, this, this seminal moment where we go, Oh my God, here it is. And they can't hide it from us anymore. I think gradually over the course of years that the paranormal in general will evolve into something that just becomes a part of life and will be acknowledged by people slowly at first, but will gain momentum. So let's just say within the next 100 years, I think it will become something everyone knows about. I don't know that I'm going to put a time on line onto it, but I'll, that's my guess. I mean, I you know, I'm, I have no well, idea. Well, here's the thing. I mean, let me ask you this question. Sure. See where we are on this page. Uh, when you say everyone will know about it in the next hundred years, how many uh, is everyone? Is the world still populated by billions at that point? I don't know. 
Because I think something catastrophic is <laughs> happening. I mean, I, I think we're on the verge of a new ice age. And mm-hmm. I think that at the end of that, um, or the beginning of that, uh, maybe when this thing becomes apparent, and I think it's something you're born into. How about that? I don't know. Whatever that means, I'll just put that out there. I don't. I, in other words, kind of what you're saying, I guess, um, in that it's not like an aha moment. It's just something that, that suddenly is there. And it's something uh-huh. that, that whoever is here that is still human <laughs> knows about. Uh, that's my guess. Now I have absolutely nothing to base that on except for the experience of, of being shown a, like an Atari 3d graphic of, uh, ice descending on North America. So, so based solely on that hallucination, I'm going to base this theory. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know about, I've often, I've often had the feeling that and and Lee and I have talked about this not awfully long ago that uh, both of us have always felt that something monumental would happen in our lifetime. What that something will be, I don't know. Neither of us really know. And you have that and you kind of hold that to a certain degree at arm's length and say, okay, well, next time I get into conversation with someone old, I'm going to ask them if they felt that way too. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, at our age, and I and I have kind of asked that in roundabout ways to certain older people that I know, and most of them have said yes as well that they felt something was going to happen uh, in their lifetime. And what does that mean? Do we? I don't. I don't know that I would put that much stock in my feeling of that, but I agree with Terrence to a degree when he when he says, "Do you can you honestly picture humanity in five hundred years?" And no, I can't. I can't. I think what's going to be weird, and Jeremy, you tell me if you don't see this or you don't get this uneasiness about this. Like, I've got a real problem with robots. (laughs) Like, I've got a real problem with the speed at which technology is replicating right now. And all of this notion of being uploaded into a computer or experience or experiments with uh, uh, biomechanical computing and this sort of thing. I mean, this is, this makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that in a, um, in a, in a far flung future, there's no doubt. I think most people have already thought about, you know, implanted chips and, or household tools, like a, your, your thumb is a fork or some such shit. I mean, whatever it might be. Your iPod is actually in the side of your head, and you can listen to music through the eardrum directly. There's no outside noise at all. You're not bothering anyone else. And I think that uh, there's going to be an introverting of uh, like, like, like a night out with thre- friends will be a thing of the past, that sort of thing. Like we won't associate, we'll become – this um, ultra-connected yet ultra-distant uh, society. And I think that that's where uh, possibly that this other is going to peek its head into that technological framework. And then it's going to be a question of uh, we're not only perceiving through a human brain, but we're also perceiving through machinery now. Oh, and just, I think just it, wait you know. till you finish the key. <laughs> okay. Have you gotten to that part in the key yet? No. Ah, very good. And um, 
And, and this is and I and and Jeremy would laugh at me about this, but this is why I found the movie the la- the latest Tron movie so fascinating was you know spoiler alert they're in a computer. I mean it's this fantasy world in a computer, and they're um uh, everybody's seen the first Tron, so you know what that's like, and uh. uh and essentially, you know, the, the man who created the grid goes back in and, and he and Tron and a facsimile of himself uh, are trying to create the perfect system. And it's going to change humanity. It's going to change the way we compute. It's going to change the way we live. It's going to be a different world. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, comes a new life form that just comes into existence. They manifest it. And that's a mystery in the film as to where they came from, what they were for real, what they were. But their their genetic makeup was unlike anything that they had ever seen. They had no disease with them. They were a pure form of consciousness that just manifested. And so it wouldn't surprise me if in some future where we have more technology uh, integrated into ourselves that this other and the other presenting itself will present itself in a much different way in that our technology will perceive it. That's what's going to be interesting. And, um, and perhaps it won't happen that way, but either way, I think it's going to keep going. It, this thing is not going to go away, and I don't think it's going to devolve into an absolute myth. I think it's just eventually, over a course of generations, it's going to become something people just know. Will it have a devastating impact as we see it now in the future? I don't know. It could already be doing that by virtue of what it's doing through contact uh, with us all. Because I, I, I'm another one of those people who believes that this thing has probably not – it's not selective. I don't, I'm not sure that I believe it's selective. I think everyone to a certain degree has – bizarre experiences they can't explain that they contemplate and so that contemplation perhaps is the reason and is what is evolving and so maybe that's how we find out that it's been here all along and that this is the force that guides evolution and um and therefore we know about it and so that i guess that point is how do you work with it what do you do with it do you just let it keep going uh do you try to define it or you just say this is the way it is? This is the way life is and this is – we just live on. You know, I don't know. I think what you just uh, touched on is one of the smartest things I've ever heard about this subject ever. <laughs> Great. I mean honestly. So I hope everyone rewinds and plays that again because that was fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> uh, and probably true. PalPal33 says – you're going to like this. Can you each describe the single best thing you've contributed to this field and feel most proud of? And on the flip side, can you describe the single worst thing or mistake that you regret ever bringing to this table? Hmm. Who wants to go first? <laughs> what are we playing? The ufology roulette? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, uh, you go first. <laughs> um, the best thing I've contributed to this field and feel most proud of. Well, this show, I think, I don't, hmm. I mean, I, I don't know about proud, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if proud, pride is a sin, right? <laughs> well, 
deadly sin, but I would say that it is I, I would a, say that a the, valued contribution. I would say that yeah, I mean I don't know that I feel proud of anything I've done. <laughs> Are you proud world. of yourself? <laughs> um I, I mean overall I think the best thing that I've contributed to humanity is uh my book Urgency, which sounds fucking oh. awful, but I think it is. But as far as just but if nobody reads it, it doesn't matter, right? And so more people have listened to this show, and I think this show has affected more um, listeners and uh, at least one paranormal field, ufology, to an extent, um, that a tiny podcast with no advertising has no right to. So I think that that is probably the single best achievement um, that I've achieved, <laughs> that I've made here. Um with the Jeff and can you describe the single worst thing or mistake that you ever regret bringing to the table? Um, I'm going to ponder that. And Jeff, you take the first question (laughs) because honestly, it's hard to say, you know, well, if, if, if not for this, then this wouldn't have happened. You know, there's always that interplay of if this horrible thing didn't happen, then this great thing never would have happened, you know? So, so let me think about that. What was just purely a mistake uh, and something I regret. Hmm. And uh, go ahead. Oh uh, well, what am I most proud of, or what do I feel? I mean, to me, I don't know if it's about being proud of it. I think it's uh, what feels most satisfying about it is um, Colin Andrews, Dennis McKenna, Jacques Vallée. I think there's three. I am the most satisfied that they brought something that. Um, made people think uh, i think that um the only way that you can feel happiness in this is, is to feel like you pushed a a, a really big boulder uh, just a fraction of an inch as everybody else is pushing too you're pushing and um and the added weight actually moved someone someone to think differently or or ponder it a different way i think that's great to feel that i think that, or at least I like to hope to think that I, uh, I saved a lot of people, a lot of, um, mislead in the field over photographic stuff. I think, I mean, I, I enjoyed doing that, um, uh, while I felt that it was important. I don't really do so much of that now. I miss doing it in a way. I miss looking at visual data in a way, but I think that, you know, if you had to look at the bigger, contribution i guess that's probably something that that had a lot of eyes on it at the time like o'hare like golf breeze like uh the the dome of the rock i just stayed the hell away from uh and told people what i thought right off the bat but you know i think those things are important to a degree but i don't know i don't know you could say there's a proud crowning achievement i think just the connections that we've made through the show i think the show i'm I'm uh, I'm I'm happy with what has gone on. I'm, I'm uh, I feel like we've done something, and I think progress is what makes you feel happy in this. Progress that you feel that a fundamental truth has come out of it, or at least some direction for some people of progress or pushing the boundary a little bit. That's the best you can hope to do. Well, would you agree and, with me? You know, like we were talking about this the other night. Somebody on the message board at some point. Mm-hmm. And the recent past wrote um, that we made it real for them or we made it real for them again or something yeah. like that. 
And I feel like that's that to me is it. You know what I that, mean? That is good. Yeah, that is um, that's a big deal. And and uh, and we've both gotten a lot of letters like that over. I'm sure the course of years. I mean, I got them way back on AOL of people saying, you know, now I'm not afraid to talk to my family about this, or you know, it's it's completely changed the way I think about it, and uh, and all of that. I mean, I even to the point where. But somehow my name was in a book for people to call about alien experiences, and I would get these calls from people. and And this is after I had come to my sort of end of, uh, you know, Act Two, I suppose, and and had realized certain things about my own experiences that I thought maybe I could pass on to people, and and I did, and I was open about it, and I told them about it, no matter how much they may resist me on it, in saying that. This has to do with you too, and if you're constantly focusing on it, you're constantly afraid of it and focusing on the fear and focusing on am I going to see them or am I not tonight and that sort of thing and and uh, and dwelling on it, and therefore making yourself pretty miserable. Uh, to ignore it, to if you want to get, if you truly want to make this stop, to ignore it, to occupy yourself in other things, to change your yourself back into some semblance of a routine of a fun life or productive life, then, um, then that is how it will help. And I, I remember a woman who just ups one side and down the other just said, Nope, there's no way you're going to convince me that's going to work. I'm telling, I said, if you do nothing else for the four hours that I've spent on the phone with you now and the night of sleep that I've lost, <laughs> uh, please for me, just try it for a month. And, uh, and she called me about, uh, I don't know, it was probably two or three months later, asked me if I remembered her and I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, she said, I called you in the middle of the night, blah, blah, blah. I said, yes, yes, yes. She goes, I just want to tell you that I did do what you said and it's gone. There's nothing. And, uh, it saved my marriage because my marriage was ending. And she said, uh, it has stopped. And I realized that I am empowered by uh myself um and she said and you helped me to realize that 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 uh, we do have a part to play here we're not hapless victims of anything like this is something we can engage when we choose to and uh and yes small things do still happen i feel like there are checkpoints and check-ins but it's not like it was it's different now and uh, and that really makes you feel good. That makes you feel like you made a difference for just one person. And if one person got it, then that's all that really matters, you know. Um, but you know, in the grand scheme of ufology, I don't think that there's been. Uh, I, I I can't say there's anything that I would say I swell with pride when I look back on that. Now, the worst thing <laughs> <laughs> that you swell with <laughs> that, that I swell with. Um, and it's a couple of things. One would be ever getting involved with um, uh, the Meyer stuff. I wish that I hadn't wasted so much time on that. I wish I had just kind of said my piece and walked from it. Um, but if I had, then you know, perhaps you know, Derek Bartholomew wouldn't have you know written all that you know, put all the, the the stuff up on the IIG West page about it that we wouldn't you know, that we now refer everyone to. Which contains stuff that I submitted to him and stuff he found out on his own, and uh, so I guess in a way it's got its plus. But I wasted way too much time on that. And I guess the other half of it is is to ever uh, I'm ashamed of 
some of the altercations that I've had in public with people, public meaning the internet. Um, uh, I think in years past I have completely showed my ass in arguments and that's, you know, that's just a matter of my anger and, uh, and my resent for my resentment for, for people who treat this with less respect and, and with less thought than they should. And, um, because I, I take that, or I used to take that extraordinarily personally that, um, anyone who would marginalize this, whether it be from a skeptical point of view, because I was always willing to listen to skeptics provided that they had a good argument to people who are trying to sell you a package deal and are just completely full of shit. And it's obvious. I mean, you want to talk about words that echo in my mind uh, are some of Jeremy's words, which were when we first started hanging out online, we were in a, a forum and, Questioning people like, why do you think this way? Well, because so-and-so says this. Well, you know, why do you base everything off that? Can't you think for yourself? Why wouldn't you lift up a phone and find out for, on your own? Why are you listening to other people? And, um, you know, why are you believing this story? Well, because it's a good story, you know. And Jeremy made the most perfect point. He says, you know, sometimes bullshit is just bullshit. And it's there is no deeper meaning to it than that. Um and coming to realize that, you realize that, you know, the one of the most valuable things I've learned, at least with dealing with people in this, is to not get all riled up about it, to privately rant if you have to, but to make your argument and leave. And that's it. Because uh, anything past that is just sucking up more valuable time in your life. And uh, and there's no point to it. Because life's too short. You know, why why sit around and I mean, when you when you really take a step back uh, and you look at your interactions with people online and, and how that's rolled and got the hours lost and that I'll never get back. And I can promise you that, um, <laughs> you know, I hold myself back a lot, but I, I will not lose another minute of my life to useless interactions with people who are far beyond any semblance of uh, integrity, honesty or um, or good sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's my thing. That's, that, I guess that's my, my biggest embarrassment is my, my irate attitude at times with people. So, uh, and the Meyer stuff. So that, that, I think for the Meyer stuff, my downfall with that or my pissed off feeling about that is that by exposing it and by showing people like, here it is. And a lot of people went, Oh yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it put a lot of eyes on it. <laughs> which you don't realize is the byproduct of a deconstruction like that is a lot of eyes are on it that might not have been on it. And so there's my, my oops moment, but I think everything worked out and shook out in the end pretty well. Yeah. I guess similarly, I mean, when I think about the single worst mistake or thing or whatever is, you know, take paying too much attention to morons and to negativity, and to all of that from inconsequential pe- people. I mean, for me personally, that what a waste of time and energy and and uh, ulcer-fighting enzymes yes. <laughs> that is. Yeah. Um, but, but isn't it amazing how important it all seems at the moment? Like, well, in the moment, yeah. it all seems so important, but it isn't. 
You know, it really isn't. And we've talked about this from everyone, you know, every aggravating son of a bitch from here to South America. And it's really not. I mean, when you really step back, you realize what a waste of time it is. Yeah. I think for the field, the only thing that I can think of um, that I've done that I regret that's not just just dealing with, with idiots online uh, is uh, maybe maybe not speaking up enough, mm-hmm. you know, at these conferences, maybe not grilling Greer enough or when I was on that other show uh, and I had the chance to interview him and I just sort of, you know, I did. I did, I, of the three hosts, I was the one asking, I think, the most pressing questions over and over again, but I don't think I even did that enough because, you know, I can say, well, it wasn't my show and I didn't feel comfortable, right. blah, 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 but that was really, that was my chance to get this guy and maybe yeah. he's ungettable because he's just going to talk his way out. But I really wish I, I was braver than I am. Cause I know that you always say it's brave that I stood up at Bassett's thing. Oh yeah. That. I think that takes an incredible amount of, of, of balls to stand up in front of those people and, and say things that you know, aren't going to be taken well. <laughs> yeah. Know? I just wish I were even braver. <laughs> I wish I were bra- brave enough to not then sit back down. Yeah. You know, to not put up with it. Well, to not sit back down is to be escorted out. <laughs> well, so that's fine. There's a there's a little bit of of, uh, of 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 wise discretion in there for that. Maybe there is. Well, then I don't know. Then I have no mistakes, Jeff. I have no mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> okay, moving along. Yeah. Brad asks, Jeff and Jeremy, I have a two-part question. Number one, Graham Hancock's book Supernatural puts a great deal of stock into the work of Hopkins and Jacobs. Nevertheless, it's a great read in my opinion. I believe that this book was written long before the pair and regression hypnosis were exposed as, let's just say, less than credible. Does this thing change your views on all of Hancock's work, and will you have him on the show again? And if you do, do you plan to take him to task about the many references to Jacobs and Hopkins' work, or at least ask for his take in the matter? Uh, I'll feel this one, Jeff, <laughs> because I've read Supernatural. Um and actually, I don't remember there being a lot of stock in Hopkins and Jacobs' work in that book. That's not the thing that jumps out at me in that book. But let's say that I'm just misremembering because it was a while ago and that you're correct. Does it change my view of Hancock's work? No, because most of Hancock's work is about ancient Egypt. Uh, and this book happens to be about um, ayahuasca and about um, ancient people and ayahuasca. And so if he's drawing, I mean, really, what is he drawing on in Hopkins and Jacobs' work? The thing that he's drawing on is this archetype of the little gray alien, right? He's not really drawing on hybrid babies and, and, you know, the sort of narrative that these guys have built. He's drawing on the physical details that have been described because he's saying that when he was on uh, a hallucinogen that he saw the grays. Um. So no, I guess in that sense, I, you know, I think it's it's neither here nor there who he's drawing on. Will we have him on the show again? Yeah, we'd love to have him on the show again. Sure. Um, would we take him to task about the references to the work? No, why would we? Uh, I've had Hopkins on my stage, <laughs> you know, when I did the Culture of Contact the first year. I mean, you don't take someone to task for something they're ignorant of. And to ask him his take in the matter, probably not, because A, that assumes he knows what the matter is that he's paying attention to it. And B um, his work isn't about that. So I'd rather get to the deeper questions because about ayahuasca or whatever it is that, that he's talking about at the time, because to take anyone to task over this hypnosis thing 
of anything, you know, is to take everyone to task at some in some fashion, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, everyone, I think, has relied on the hypnotic testimony at some point, or most anyone. And so all you can do is hope that they are current with the situation and um and are changing their uh changing their research accordingly. Yeah. I profess often that I don't read books because I don't want to I don't want to put anything in the noggin that's not <laughs> it's not uh already going on. So I I choose not to read a lot of these books because I don't want to I I don't want it going through my my brain filter uh so as not to pre-contaminate myself to anything. I want everything to be clean in there for that. Uh, I mean, the key is literally ask Jeremy is the first thing I've read in quite a while, aside from Jacques Vallée's book, which we did the interview for, for that. You just don't go in unprepared for a Jacques Vallée interview. I mean, the only thing that I'll say about anybody who would refer to, uh, Hopkins and Jacob's work is that I don't think, uh, and I'm going to speak from my point of view on that whole thing. I think that it would be uh, a little too far to push to say that parts of what they put out, for instance, the operating table and being cut upon by these beings is not what some people may have experienced. Because I've met people who have not had hypnosis done who have recalled such things. Have I met anyone who hasn't been regressed, who has remembered hybrids? No, I haven't. That said, in accordance with ayahuasca or psilocybin or any of these, there is a thematic that can run through them of having small beings literally tearing you apart, which also comes into play in certain religions. And so I don't think that you can negate certain small parts of this as being jiving with certain people's experiences. The problem is is that those experiences were taken and publicized and therefore became part of a, an influential cultural sphere that then overtook everyone uh, and everyone became aware of and therefore polluted and oversaturated the field with just that portion of whatever this may be and whatever that experience might be. So I don't think that if someone refers to that particular meme and all of this that I can say, oh no, that came out of hypnosis, so that's bullshit. Um, because there's too many other places where that sort, just that part alone, the, the operating table being cut on, um, being torn apart, having horrible things done to you with a fork or whatever, um, where that does come into play. So there are other things about that work in hypnosis that are problematic, a lot more things that are problematic. So I don't think you can necessarily take any reference to that work and immediately throw someone up against the wall for it. You know, you've got to be, you've got to temper that out a little bit with what has come up in other tandem things that don't involve hypnosis and maybe don't even involve psychedelics to that degree. If you want to omit that, so I mean, that's where I would come from. I wouldn't say to to throw everyone up against the wall for that. I think when you start talking about hybrids and and the cloak and dagger and the X file stuff coming out of hypnosis, I think we know where that comes from. And so that's something to debate and to question heavily. But, uh, you know, the problem is, is, again, we can't differentiate. Well, and then there's another way to answer the question, because now that you're saying that, you're right. Um, 
supernatural. It's not just about the physicality of the beings, but about that archetypal pattern of being pulled apart and even these sort of hybrid cave drawings of, you know, half human, half right. whatever creature. Right. Um, to which I, I guess the way that I would answer it, part two of my answer, <laughs> is uh, how telling is it then that this altered state of mind on a drug is producing something so similar, a vision so similar as the altered state of mind of hypnosis. Right. Uh, I mean, to me, that's the story, not the fact that hypnosis is, is unearthing some real memory that jives with these people tuning into another reality through a drug. Um, it's that there's this altered state of mind that produces these similar sorts of experiences. Um, maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can't, we can't sit back and say that every person who was ever hypnotized, um, you know, didn't enter an altered state and have, and relive or have. See, the question is, is it reliving or is it a having an experience like that? And by the same token, here's what kind of separates the line for hypnosis in the Western world versus the experiences of the scarified natives of South America in the Amazon who have not seen a television, much less a car or an airplane, um, who are describing what a lot of people describe an alien experience, UFOs, beings, um, like you said, being torn apart, you know, that, that uh, clinical theater feel to things. Um, we have something much different in this country, which is media, and media propagates everything. And so how much cultural contamination is there in the Western world versus, I don't know, the Amazon jungle? It, there's a real definite difference there. The onset of someone talking about paralyzed on the table, being surrounded with knives, hacking them apart, cutting on them, injecting them with things, that could have been a very early on discovery that then was – it could have been one person or three or four people whose story got out. And once that propagated in the media and with the suggestibility of hypnosis, there's where that meme took off. You know, that, and that has nothing to do with the core of that, that part. But unfortunately, out of hypnosis grew all of the other stuff that well, we've come or, to know. Or it could be uh, either drug-related or just natural DMT production-related, something along those lines, uh, mm -hmm. the the Techno City version of the jungle maybe. scenario. <laughs> yeah, that somebody maybe. had, right? And then, and, then, and then it takes off from there. And then it becomes yeah. this thing that, that other people, you know, quote-unquote, see through hypnosis. Yeah. Now, um, now if it, let's put it this way. If the question were... Someone comes on the show and talks about an experience that they've had and then goes on to say, well, I've used hypnosis in a lot of this and blah, then I would have a problem. <laughs> you know, ultimately it comes down to the tool and then it comes secondarily down to the people implementing that tool. Okay. So that there's the two big problems that I have with hypnosis use in this field. It, it's those two things. It's the people using it and it's the tool itself. But we've, we've long said this, and we've said this repeatedly on the show, that what people are remembering, part of it may be true, may be what they recall. And part of it's not. Or all of it's not. Or all of it is. The point is, you can't differentiate it, and therefore, it's not a useful tool. End of story. If someone were to come on this show and try to convince us that it was, I, they would have a fight. 
By the way, has anyone taken us up on that offer, Jeff? No, sir. No, no one has. That's correct. That's, That's interesting. Right. That's right. So much blather out there in the blabosphere, but they don't ever actually want to put yeah. it on the table. Take the chair. <laughs> Brad's question number two is, will you talk more about the relationships and or alliances that have been strained or have suffered between you and others in the community? If any. Yeah, thanks. If any. Shut up. <laughs> uh, as a result of your role in exposing Jacobs and to perhaps a slightly smaller extent, Hopkins. Name names. <laughs> name names. Nah. If any. <laughs> I'd say for the most part, it's been the people that you wouldn't care about anyway. Um, again, it, it's been... Uh, who was the one character that wrote the really long diatribic report? Um, oh, who cares? You know, I mean, that's somebody we don't know anyway. So. Yeah, this is, I mean, this guy wrote this expansive report that was just utter crap. And the minute that you say, okay, if you disagree with us, then come on the show and you'll have your time and we won't edit you and we'll make you a fool. It'll be a straight up thing. We promise no selective editing. Everything's on the table. Come on the show and debate this with us. And you hear silence and you hear, no, sir, thank you for your kind invitation. I'll pass. Yeah. And then he goes on another message board, posts the email and is like, look at this. They're challenging me. It's like, oh, I mean, this all becomes a stupid game to these people. And, th and then you realize what their game is. You know, of course, when they don't take you up on it, then that means there's no fortitude behind their convictions. And therefore, there's nothing there to debate. They know that this is uh, not about the topic. This is about either a, a quest for attention or the defense of a uh, ufological hero or father figure or something or whatever. Uh, you realize it's not about the subject. It's not about what's at hand. It's about something else. And I'm not interested in something else. Um, and, and nor is Jeremy. So none of these people have had the guts to stand up for what they think. The way we've done every week on this show, uh, you know, for for quite a while there, we were we were on this subject, and 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 you know, and that just that just goes to show you right there that this is not uh, this is not about the subject matter. It's not what how mean we are or or how disrespectful we are. <laughs> you know, this is about what the reality of all of this is, and uh, um, and, and and you know what, you, you, you go back to that other question about. What do you feel the most satisfied about? I'm real fucking satisfied that uh, that this field got a very large tablespoon full of its own dog shit in its mouth for using hypnosis and building so much off of it. I'm fucking glad about that. I really am. I was glad to see it swallow that jagged pill. Uh, and I was even more glad to see the response from some of the top flight people in this field who – I'm sorry to say this, guys and gals – didn't have the balls to stand up for it. Uh, and say what they thought publicly for fear of tipping the apple cart. But I was still grat gratified to see that most of them were on board with exactly what was coming out of this show. So that I, I feel satisfied that a boulder was moved there. That That's a good one. That's, that's a real good one to me. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't um, have a whole lot of relationships in this field. So it's like I've pre-soured myself to certain folks like Jerome Clark. But who cares? Uh, yeah. But th I mean, there are people like Peter Robbins, who I'm sure isn't going to be happy to see me at you know the next Exeter event if mm -hmm. uh, Tim Benal hosts and I end up going to that. 
Uh-huh. Um, and we had some uh, words or, I mean, it was a civil discussion um, at a dinner. This was before the, the Carol Rainey article. Um, I think it was even before my UFO mag article on, on Jacobs, but just, but the Emma Woods stuff had been out there. Um, right. And he was really upset uh-huh. uh, with me. But then we had a civil discussion and, and by the end of it, he was fine. But I right. think now at this point, he, you know, he probably hates my guts, um, <laughs> which, which is fine because if, again, it's like if, if you're going to choose friendship over the truth, then you have no business being, uh, calling yourself a researcher. Well, yeah. Um, is my yeah. feeling. But what's interesting to me is that actually, so, you know, I was friendly with Peter Robbins and I still am friendly. I mean, you know, as far as I know, nothing, you know, everything's fine. You know? Right, right, it, right. It's not. But <laughs> as far as I know, everything <laughs> is. Uh, but uh, but uh, we've gained a friend out of this, which is Tyler Coke John. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic. I mean, I would take Kyler, Tyler, put Tyler Coke John's words, skills, resume, I don't know, thoughtfulness, right. unique right. insight. Um, yes. All of that, his perspective is far more valuable to me than a Jerome Clark or a Peter Robbins. No offense to either gentleman, believe it or not. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, here's the thing that, that I would flip this question around and say, since doing this show, how many friends have we met that I just am aghast at how the friendships with these people have just come out of nowhere, <laughs> You know, that to me is what's amazing. People like uh, Colin Andrews. I mean, the nicest man, the nicest, kindest, uh, one of the more gentlemanly and generous men who exist in this field today with real honesty, with real passion about what he's doing. Uh, Mark Nesbitt, who gives up his home to total strangers (laughs) to stay in to do a ghost investigation. I mean, well, I mean, I love these people, um, and and I would jump or help any of them at any time. Uh, Dr. McKenna, again, a, a wonderful man, a knowledgeable man, a passionate guy uh, for, for, for his interest, and a guy who has pushed the envelope every bit as much as his brother did, and uh, and I'm who I'm proud to say is you know is is a friend of this show and. We've met so many great people that uh, to be proud to be uh, friends with, and, pr- and proud to say we could pick them, pick up the phone and call them. You know, I mean that sort of thing. If we had a question, or that just doesn't happen. You know, that just doesn't happen with the machine of the paranormal field. That just uh, those connections are so rare and so important to me uh, that I think that that is a big part of why this show is happening is, is that, you know, Phil and Brogno and, you know, these people who are real, I mean, these are, these are real people who have real interest and are sincere. That's, that's such an amazing diamond to find in the pile of cow shit. That is this field, um, that you're lucky. You feel so really lucky to have, uh, interacted with them. And, and Jacques Vallée, I mean, we can't pick up the phone and just call him. Well, we could, but, you know, uh, but would he answer? But would he answer? <laughs> I mean, but still, I mean, the very fact that his publishing company, uh, which no doubt he told his publishing company, put this interview up on their, their website. I mean, I, my jaw just dropped at that. I was like, Jesus, he thought enough of us to make his publisher or suggest to his publisher or his publisher thought, 
let's put this one up as a, a, a prelude to reading the book. I mean, how great is that? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes you so happy and feel so lucky to pick your, your guests in a, in a, in a thoughtful way. Cause we do really put, I think a genuine amount of thought into who we have on the show and it follows this interest of our own. I just think that that's, it's great that we've made so many positive connections. I mean, the negatives just, they completely dissolve in the wake of that. So that to me is what's really important. Willie Strieber is my childhood hero and he respects me. (laughs) Well, there you are. I mean, that's it to me. That's it. I mean, I, I wrote to Jeff a while back and I was like, I think I'm done. I mean, I think <laughs> we've got all of our white whale guests, mm-hmm. um, Michu Kaku, notwithstanding. I mean, on it, you know, would I like yeah. to have him on the show? Sure. But do I think really it'll be a, a jaw dropping interview? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've, I've gotten all of our white whale guests and, uh, and earned the respect of my childhood hero. So, and, and I'm now working with the filmmaker of Communion. So it's like... <laughs> Philippe Mora. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, what more could I want? I, I don't... At this point, you know, talk about what are you in this for? At this point, I think I am just here for other people. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just... Um, it's amazing. And I'm, th- I'm, I'm especially thankful for uh, friendships that we've made in our listener base. I mean... Um, and I'm infinitely humbled and thankful for all of these people who listen to us. I mean, did we ever in our wildest dreams expect to, to, to have this kind of response to this show? And the answer is no, we didn't. We honestly didn't. We hoped, but like everything else, I mean, what if the project falls flat and we actually thought, well, if nobody listens, then we'll just fold it up. You know I mean? We gave it a shot. And the response right from the get go was unbelievable. And, and that is thanks to everyone listening. So, um, you know, that's, 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 that's what's been, you know, the good parts of this, you know, to, to, to focus on what's been lost and, and, uh, and, and these, uh, I don't know, like the gnats on the ass of ufology is nothing to focus on anymore. It's just like not who we, we were those people and there's no doubt of that, but I think we learned, uh, uh, like everything else in life, you learn lessons the hard way. And we certainly did. And uh, and it did it did almost end this show. I mean, I'll, I'll say that it, it has almost ended this show. The focus upon that becomes really negative, and um, and you become so disenfranchised with what you're doing that you don't want to do it anymore because it's just an effort in, in aggravation. You've got to turn your back on it. I mean, and I say that to anyone who's engaged right now in a message board argument on some other forum. Just stop, man, because it's not what it's about. This is not what you're here for. <laughs> this is not what our parents put us here for. Yeah, I got to say, yeah. um, I probably said this the last time we did a show like this, but uh, and it sounds completely pandering and all that, but I really do appreciate our, I don't want to say fan base, our listenership, yeah. uh, and especially those on the message boards, because, again, you go to these other message boards and they're just, they're just traps. <laughs> they're like yeah. soul traps almost, you know? And then you come to our message board and people aren't arguing. They're having real discussions and, I mean, lengthy posts with really deep, informed opinions and facts and back and forths and abstract <laughs> yeah. thinking. I mean, all the stuff that I love uh, yeah. is what we've fostered here, I think, and and then people have taken to it. And I think they sort of self-regulate. Well, um, and they listen. That's the thing is they listen to each other. 
which is pretty rare on these message boards because let's face it most times what you know what's the old adage you just you're not listening you're just waiting for your chance to type you know and yeah that's it i mean people really respect what what each other is is writing and yeah. really authentically want to respond to it want to build upon it want to right. you know get into it that way it's and, amazing uh, i mean it's amazing and we so we so don't always appreciate that dynamic like we should or at least i don't i mean i i um it's not that we take it for granted it's just that it's oh it's always been the norm around the board it's always been the norm with our listenership that it's that it's just been really intelligent thoughtful and most of all kind people <laughs> kind people who've supported us and um and supported this show and and have not been shy about disagreeing with us and uh and on many, I can tell you at least you know, four or five occasions where they absolutely changed my mind about something that I was so sure of, you know, and it made me think in different ways. So, you know, you're right. That is a a big plus. Well, oddly enough, I mean, that doesn't that doesn't that feel like the place where we should end it? Well, it certainly feels like uh, it's the end of the show. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that we're out of time. <laughs> we're, we're, we're out of time, and and that feels like the pitch perfect note to end it on. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there are certain people that we didn't get to, and there are other people that had more questions. So uh, we'll do an impromptu part two of this just for subscribers. It'll be we'll record it later this week, and and we'll put it out um, on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, in the so look for that in the bonus content section. Part two of our twenty questions from you, the listeners. And I guess if anyone wants to take advantage of this and get in on that 20 questions thread and ask us between now and say Sunday, <laughs> right? Uh, then we'll probably include your question as well. So, yeah. And thank you guys for really, um, really great questions actually. Yeah. Really great. Yes, yes, yes. Not that that's surprising coming from you geniuses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff, on that note, sweet dreams to you. Same to you, sir. And we will see you. Well, I guess we'll see you next Wednesday. That's right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. 